This is Tanya Mulevich from Lightning Bolt Theater of the Mind, and you're listening to the Mutual Audio Network. Enjoy. <laughs> the following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain, and the more I read, the less I wish to know. There is a shadow over Watergate University, a shadow from which I barely escaped with my life, a shadow into which I must now step once more. And you're coming with me. So, where were we? We left our hero with his face buried in a plate of waffles, and his story buried deep, deep underground. He has descended to the darkest depths of the Central Administration Building, and now stands on the ancient doorstep of an organization as secretive as it is powerful. This is Day Nine, Part Five. The Office of Invitation It is the ninth day of the return to Aldergate. The time and place of writing is early afternoon, in the back room of the Colonial Independent Mercantile and Tea Room. We begin. In Reno Veritas, silver boy, or so the poets say. But if there's truth to be found at the bottom of a wine glass, your coffee cup contains only conspiracy. Hmm. And coffee, of course. Good, good coffee, but also conspiracy, and of the inscrutablest sort. Yes, your two-pates theory has been confirmed. You were suspicious when you ordered your now dearly departed breakfast that the old pate behind the counter was a different old pate from the one you always thought you knew and loved. The ear, self, the ear's the thing. The old pate who scratched down your specifications in stately silence had an ear like a young coral reef. So too had the one who wordlessly delivered this tasty brew just now. But... And mark this well, self, for it is the nub of the affair. Not the same ear. You're certain of it. Pate the former had it on the left, 
Well, this latest model had it on the right. Well, what does it mean? What does it promise, prefigure, or portend? Oh, something's afoot. Some mystery or mischief. And the doubtful icing on this profoundly dubious cake is that you never asked for coffee in the first place. <sighs> in cafe, conspiratio. Not that you're over-bothered on that point. Stands to reason that a chap who's just engorged his own weight in waffles is going to need a nice cup of something to stave off the coma afterward. Doesn't take a wizard to know that, or a hobgoblin, or whatever the pate entities are. Still, it is an important reminder that you must keep your wits about you. Make no assumptions. Eyes open, ear to the ground. And nose to the grindstone. The diarist's art is a tricky one. Trickier than you'd suspected. But you can't spend five minutes chewing on your biro, groping for the proper words. After all, there are so many lovely improper words that would serve so nicely. But no. No, you're better than that. At least you're going to pretend you are, because the real point is what awaited you behind the fossilized old door of the Office of Invitation, not just the person who opened it. Now, you must confine your report on Igor to that which is strictly relevant. No need to mention that she's one of those Eastern European phenomena, a heart-shaped face that's mostly eyes, and a form like the better sort of willow tree. No, what matters is that she is designated lictor of the O of I, controller in residence for the nerve center of Aldergate University's far-flung covert recruiting organization. The Office of Invitation, through which runs the only path to Aldergate University. You've heard the legends, some of them at any rate, and the ones you know are as vague as they are wild. They paint the O of I as something between Willy Wonka and the Illuminati, and what is known for certain does nothing to impeach what is suspected. In every country, among every people, secret agents keep a watchful eye out for promising sparks of genius and almost never the ones you might suspect. Rarely the acknowledged best, and generally those who are proven only afterwards to be the brightest, but nevertheless, persons who, no matter their age or interests, show signs of the obsessive need to learn and innovate that is the cornerstone of the altercation character. When a prospect is found, a report is made, and further assessment is done. But all communication is indirect, encrypted, and covert. Down the centuries, heroic efforts have been made to game the system, to bribe or bully or engineer an invitation to Aldergate. Those who have claimed to be among the O of I's representatives are never believed, 
and some who were suspected have died under torture, but the true and full extent of the network remains unknown. <laughs> unknown to most, that is. Not to Igor. She sits at the center of the web, directing communications and compiling reports for the colleges to fight over once a year. Thus it is decided who shall be invited to Aldergate. Deddy oversees the operation. Deddy counsels and approves. But, to hear her tell it, at least, Igor's the one the university counts on to identify those special humans who will sculpt their generation. Or, in her words, she finds brains. Weirdo. Igor is a lot to take in at once. She bloody well knows it. Had the nerve to laugh in your face as you stood there, blinking in the stairwell. Well, come on then, she said, presenting Sentad's secret subcellar with a sweep of her arm. Daddy said you'd come to see us sooner or later. So glad you did. Well, in you went. You stepped through the door and into a long single gallery. The broad planked wooden floors and stone pillars put you instantly and nauseously in mind of the manse's basement. But the feeling soon passed. The strange depths beneath Sir Reggie's wine cellar are desolate, deserted, decaying in dark loneliness that you wish you'd never interrupted. The O of I, in contrast, is vibrantly alive. It's quite a big space, but cramped by the sheer volume of communication-related clutter. Row upon row of refectory-style tables, stacked high with desktops, fax machines, teletypes, video conferencing equipment, even a few old cook-and-wheatstone needle telegraphs, all humming and beeping and clacking happily away. Then there are the telephones, old-fashioned ones with curly tails, dozens of them banked along the walls. One of these began to clang as you entered. Igor hastily slammed, barred, and triple-bolted the door behind you, and excused herself to attend to it, giving you a ripe opportunity to admire her prosthetics. You know, synchronicity is a funny thing. A week ago, you didn't personally know anybody with a non-traditional number of feet. Then it turned out Sammy was missing one, a fact you still don't quite know what to do with. And now Igor, for her part, goes entirely without. Lost them to a landmine when she was a kid, she says, just below the knee. She's still about five foot six, head to stump, but that's where the prosthetics collection comes in. And what a collection it is. <laughs> Today she was wearing her beaters, as she calls them, rugged-looking plain black wedge things, wardrobe staples, no doubt, suitable for home or office wear. 
But when she wants to accessorize, she has got a dazzling variety of alternatives, all arrayed neatly on a shelf by the door. There's more to life than headhunting, after all, and when she's called to the world above, Igor's got a pair of quite passable flesh alikes. Distressingly passable. You've seen about as many disembodied limbs as you need to this week, thanks so much. Anyhow, the realistic replacements can't be half as much fun as those springy blade things. Short ones for running faster than a speeding bullet, and quite ostentatiously long ones that presumably enable her to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And then there are all the fancy and specialized ones. Tabby-toed robo-feet for covert operations in Neo-Tokyo. Then there's a pair that she calls ice-skates, but which are clearly for assassination missions. And, most notably, a magnificently sculpted set of mechanical hooves, all spindly gears and hammered metal. Really. Fascinating girl. You asked her whether, and if so, how, she... Huh? No. Move along. I haven't got all day. <sighs> all right. Yes, yes. Anyhow, you spent quite a while chatting with Igor. Longer than was strictly necessary, or entirely professional. You will want to watch yourself, self-malad, instead of watching your employees' asses when they're showing you round the facilities. Except she isn't actually in your employ, is she? <sighs> right, yes, well done. You've spotted the important point. Oh, fine. Moving on. <sighs> Igor gave you a quick once-over of all the arcane and archaic toys and tools that connect the Office of Invitation to its far-flung organs. <sighs> An unconventional form of operational security, but evidently effective at keeping their moles safely burrowed. You have always rather wondered who put them onto you in the first place. All those years at sea. Somebody aboard the Shershoff must have been secretly reporting on you. Stories of baby Adrian flashing via satellite from the waste of waters to that ancient underground HQ. Igor's predecessor, jotting down notes and writing up reports, and, at the end of the day, stuffing everything into a big folder and tossing it onto one of the towering stacks along the back wall. So many files. Thousands, certainly. Some inches thick, and some nearly empty. And each with a photograph sellotaped to the front, along with a name. The latest crop of prospective invitees, ready for the colleges to dig through and bicker over. Once upon a time, your file must have lain in a stack like that. And somehow you were chosen. Whatever can Elden House have seen in you? Yes, anyhow, 
The last stop on the tour was another door at the far end of the office. This one had all the uncompromising sternness of the one through which you'd entered, and none of the old-world charm. Buffed steel with rivets in, as worn by the more humorless sort of bank vault. A sledgehammer, added as an afterthought by some engineer of the function-over-form school, hangs on a hinge in the middle. Igor grabbed it, lifted its head, and let it fall. A moment or two passed. The shush of withdrawing bolts, and the door swung slightly open. Igor put her lips to the crack. Dee Dee, she trilled. A VIP visitor, are you decent? From within floated the mellow tones of the chap whose knobbly hands lifted you to vice-chancellordom. That is for me to know and you to find out. Come in, come in. Igor hauled the door open and bowed. The master awaits you. <laughs> and so you passed from one zone of political anomaly into another. Up on the surface, and even out on the stairs, yours was the kingdom. Within the office of invitation, you were merely a guest, an honored one, to be sure, but a guest only. And then, dropping a swift curtsy to Igor, you stepped through into the designated and inalienable quarters of the Scholar of the Law, where, you now know, a vice-chancellor more than any other is peon and bond-servant. It is a solemn temple to rule and tradition a sanctum of the proper order of things. And it's an utter disgrace. <sighs> Suppose those who live in glass manses oughtn't to throw stones, but you plead not guilty to most of that mess. You haven't even fully unpacked yet. Sir Reggie's cardboard box mountain is his fault. Suppose you have left the bathroom in a bit of a state. Blood and bandages and so on, but that's different. You were injured, and you've been far too busy to be blamed for not tidying up. Regardless, no fault of yours could excuse Deddy Hamid. Ugh. The first thing you see upon entering the designated and inalienable quarters is... Mm, quite magnificent, actually. Straight ahead on the far wall hangs a large and beautiful tapestry, obviously ancient and entirely splendid, if a little busy in its design. The five keys of Aldergate get most of the real estate, but the real action's what's going on around them. Soldiers and horses and castles and far too many birds. What they can all want with the claviculae, you cannot guess, but there they are. Birds, birds everywhere. Peacocks and owls and red and yellow spiky ones you don't know what to call. Yes, 
"'So the tapestry is nice enough. "'Once you tear your eyes away from it, however, "'things go south pretty quickly. "'Fact is, Deddy's sacred quarters amount to little more than a glorified bedsit, "'and glorified more by the title than the particulars. "'Absolutely shocking.' The walls and floor and ceiling and so on are all ancient stone and fossil timber, but the place itself looks as if it was put in in the 1970s and hasn't been updated since, or thoroughly scrubbed. Coming through from the O of I, it is oriented as follows. On the near left, a kitchenette in avocado. Avocado tile round the sink. Avocado veneer on the cupboards, and an avocado-enameled round-shouldered refrigerator that you hate yourself for sort of liking. Everything that isn't avocado is used cereal bowls. So many. You had not thought death had undone so many cereal bowls. The bowl-encrusted kitchen island, open parentheses, avocado, close parentheses, abuts a chubby old sofa, which is where the magazines live. The sofa faces a double-decker television situation. A fine big OLED, easily the newest thing in the whole place, balanced on top of a dusty old tube from back in the days when a TV wasn't a TV if it hadn't got its own wood-grain cabinet to sit in. <laughs> the floor between sofa and televisions is a royal rat's nest of wires in which lurks feral specimens of every entertainment system and game console manufactured in the past half-century. Beyond them, the walls that meet in the far left corner are lined with bookshelves. These hold the boxes and cases where tapes and cartridges and DVDs and so on would go if they weren't all stacked up naked on the aforementioned TV cabinet. <sighs> Turning now to the right, as how could you not, you will see a royal blue futon mattress. Population, one crumpled paisley duvet, two open laptops, and several partial sleeves of saltine crackers. On the floor beside it, in a large glass tank with a duct-taped crack, a burnt orange bearded dragon basks beneath a sun lamp. <sighs> Such is the home of Deddy Hamid, and you have never envied anyone more in your life. <sighs> Still, nothing is perfect. You must not omit mention of the far right corner of the room which appeared at a glance to be the zone of unspeakable evil. The whole area is curtained off in heavy black, and a menacing glimmer of red light trickles out around the top. More on that in a moment. As for Deddy himself, he was on the floor among the socks and spoons, doing something fearfully lissom in a pearl-gray tracksuit. He had one leg curled up underneath him, and the other thrust straight out ahead, and as you watched he collapsed slowly forward until his braided goatee brushed his kneecap. 
You were about to call for Igor to fetch a doctor when he uncoiled, bounced upright, and seized your hand like a mongoose congratulating a cobra. Mr. Bourne, so good of you to come, so very good of you. He kicked up a heel and caught it behind his back. Gristlyled quadriceps creaked like the hangman's rope. I was just about to head out for my run. You wouldn't care to join me, I suppose. You murmured regretfully that you'd left your trainers at home. His are magnificent, by the way. Iridescent purple with a sort of fish-scale pattern. You said you didn't mind coming back another time, which was a naughty lie. But no matter. Deddy chuckled. Oh, by no means. He knuckled you on the upper arm, right where everybody does. Pleasure before business always. And besides, your visit saves me from disrupting my schedule. I am running half an hour ahead today, victim of my own efficiency. Bonfire is just around the corner, and scouting for next year's class is all but finished. So office business is terribly slow just now. I am, therefore, entirely at your disposal. Whatever can I do to serve my vice-chancellor inaugurate? <sighs> inaugurate? You hadn't thought about that. Must mean Deddy knows you've not been properly affirmed yet. Well, of course he would. Ah, well, hasn't mattered yet, at least. Anyhow... With all you'd been through since stepping into Centad, it took you a moment to recollect why you'd come in the first place. Your unfocused gaze must have been aimed more or less at the zone of unspeakable evil, because Deddy glanced at it and beamed. Of course, of course. Forgive my manners, I must introduce you to the word. With that, he performed a circuit of the apartment, clicking off lamps and dragging the duvet over the pet lizard, until the only light in the room was the crimson glow from behind the curtained corner. Then, with the air of a showman, he pulled the heavy drapery aside, and you were in the presence of the Lex. The Lex not the piddling pocket edition that you nearly threw your back out trying to extract from the shelf in the man's office. No. The original, canonical Lex Ortegatiensis. The inviolable and innumerable laws that govern Aldergate University are written on whole-hide vellum. The Lex is bound between planks that were hewn by men who remembered the arrival of the Normans from oaks that remembered the arrival of the Danes. <sighs> you will do well to keep on Deddy's good side, self, my lad. Go jogging with him if that's what it takes. The manse may be a posher address than his little cell, but if push comes to shove, you'll find that, next to the ones in Deddy's monstrous roommate, your words are writ in water. Still, 
There's only so much gawping a chap can do at a tome, however outsized and forbidding. And after a bit, you remembered why you'd really come. So, after Deddy had put the Lex back to bed and got the lights on, you asked him. Didn't give too many details, and for a moment you were afraid that you'd worse than wasted your time. But, in the end, he nodded. Hesitantly, but he nodded. Well, why not? Yes, Mr. Ward, I should be delighted. After all, I do not have so many chances to show off the archives, and the inventorium, of course. There was something off in his manner, to which you can't quite put a name. Perfectly friendly and obliging, but off. There is a line somewhere, self. Not sure what it is, or where, but you stepped awfully close to it. <sighs> well, no foul, no harm. Deddy went over to the lovely tapestry and tugged at its hanging rod, swinging it out and away from the wall. Then, remembering operational protocol, he nipped back across the room and pulled the door to the O of I shut with a clang. Squeezed his pocket, you could see the fob outlined against the velour, and bolts clacked into place. Then he turned from that door to face its now-revealed twin. Oh, one moment. I do apologize. He tiptoed through the tangle of cords and consoles and took down a cookie jar shaped like a black-and-white cat. Decapitating the kitty, he extracted a second fob, which he clicked over his shoulder. The back door does not get used very often, he informed you, as bolts shushed open. But really, I am very glad you are here. It is... Important, I think. Yes, an important thing. You are not involved in the selection process, of course, he said, restoring the cookie jar. And, in fact, I fear you will not be permitted inside the inventorium once the bonfire celebrations begin. He picked his way back across the room to rejoin you. But... It is such an important part of the life of the university, even buried away down here where hardly anyone ever gets to see it. He chuckled. Even Mr. Cardew only came to see it once, after I petitioned the university council for funds to renovate it. Oh yes, you said. The realization that you were speaking to a man who casually refers to Sir Reggie as Mr. Cardew was staggering enough, but this matter of funding might turn out to be important. If the council holds the Office of Invitation's purse strings, that would seem to give you at least some leverage over Deddy, and also a means whereby he could potentially extort you. Ah, you said. Renovation funds. Right. Course. Well, how did that turn out? 
Deddy chuckled again. He put his shoulder to the door, which swung open before you. The council, Deddy said, was very generous. Well then, seems it's high times under the Central Administration Building. Go interesting places, meet interesting people, and, perhaps, learn more than one expected. What awaits our hero in this Invitorium? What secrets lie beyond in the archives of the O of I? a repository of dossiers on every person ever invited to Aldergate, including our hero himself. We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday for a fresh episode of The Aldergate Papers. Right now, however, you must help me help myself. Do please find the Aldergate Papers on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. And spread the word, won't you? Point your friends to thealdergatepapers.com Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio, or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. The Mutual Audio Network, where we listen and imagine together.